song. I love it. It cracks me up. I forgot who it was years ago. I think it was Roy Wee said they were singing that song in a prison. <laughs> Probably made the guards a little nervous. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful 
for the blessings that we have in you. And we're thankful that you didn't just give us your word and leave us out in the cold trying to figure it out, but you're there to guide us. And Father, this morning we're thankful that you brought us here to worship you. And it's that, that's what we're here to do together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're here to worship the Lord together, and we're glad that you've chosen to do that with us. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us, and if you're watching us online, we ask that you do the same, and that way we can keep uh, keep contact with you and help you if you have prayer requests. At this time, our praise team is going to continue to lead us in song this morning. You may be seated.
I thought we were going to have a guest speaker for a minute. <laughs> so cute. Oh, my. Well, today we're going to conclude our uh, True Religion series on a message that's kind of last but not least in James's thought pattern. You know, we've talked about how James's teachings are, he's very, it's very, he's very famous for his down-to-earth practical teaching. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what, uh, what he's trying to tell us. Throughout the book, though, James has been touching on many subjects that have to do with us putting our faith into action. We can talk a good talk, but ultimately we have to be able to walk the walk. And if we don't, what we say really doesn't mean a lot. But after all the practical and, and moral teachings found in the book of James, James shift, shifts gears here at the end of his book to something that is vital in the life of one who calls himself a Christian, the one who follows Jesus. Our message this morning is entitled Conversations with God. And if one's going to walk with God, if one's going to walk with Jesus, what ends up having to happen is we have to be in constant communication with him. We should be having constant, constant conversations with God. We call this communication prayer, but basically it's conversation. We are offering things up to the Lord and we're hoping to hear, we're, not, we're wanting to hear a response back from him. But I think sometimes prayer is very underutilized or that communication link that we have with God is not used to its fullest potential. Prayer is how we connect with God. It's how we express ourselves to God. It's how we seek answers and guidance from God. And if we're not doing this on a constant basis, we're really missing something with our relationship. Imagine being in a relationship with someone where there was no communication, none, or very little. Or every once in a while when you need something, you'd say something. Do you, think that, do you think that relationship would be very good? It really wouldn't be. It wouldn't be much of one at all. And the same is true with God. If we're not constantly com, uh, having conversations with God, if we're just going to him when things look bad or when we get desperate or when we occasionally think about it, that would be no different than like having a spouse that you did the same thing with. You would not have a good relationship. Where do you turn to when things are rough? Who do you offer praise to when things go well? James concludes this letter. As he concludes it, he, he, he gives us further warning. After he gives further warning in the letter about abusive wealth and things like this, he gives us a broad appeal to prayer. And I find it interesting that after all the things he said, that finally he comes to this point. And being, James, being practical like he is, gives us this for a reason. So what do we do when we're suffering? What do we do when we're sick? What do we do when we're sunk in sin? What do we do when things are going awesome? See, the construction of these scenarios in the form of rhetorical questions points the, to the inevitability of them happening in your life. You're going to have times of suffering, times of sickness, times where you're just sunk in sin, times when you're full of joy. And so because these situations are coming up, we need to know what to do with them. Obviously, the answer to all these is prayer. Sometimes we think we have the answer, and sometimes we try to go it alone with God. We, for whatever reason, we don't think about it, or we think, well, God's too busy doing everything else to listen to what I have going on, or to care, or this isn't important enough for God, and so we put a hierarchy of importance. And so sometimes we think if it's not important, we don't go to God. But James tells us no matter what our situation, the answer is prayer. Now, in verses 13 to 18, the word prayer, prayed, or some form of it, is used in every verse except verse 19. I mean, he keeps hammering on it. 
So this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And I want to start with verses 13 through 15 together. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, or you can follow on the screen. It says this. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if, he's, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So our first observation is this. We're given reasons to pray, reasons to have these conversations with God. In verses 13 through 15, James gives us four instances. Now, obviously, there's more, but these are pretty much these four cover a lot of things that we deal with in life. Times that we really need to hunker down and make sure that we're in communication with God. Prayer is not just closing your eyes and putting your hands together and bowing your head. Please don't do that when you're driving, by the way. Um, but that's not all it is. Sometimes, I know in the tradition that I was raised in, that's basically what I thought it was. I thought you couldn't do it any other way. But that's not really what prayer is about. Because if that were true, we could not follow what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us, basically, pray constantly, constantly pray. Pray without ceasing, depending on the version that you're reading. See, when you love somebody, what is one thing you would like to do? I would hope you would like to communicate with them. And not just facts and figures, not, <clears throat> hey, the roast is in the oven. But you want to cont- talk to them about everything that's happening in your life. Uh, I know sometimes men, will, they, we'd go home and we're like, I've been talking at work, I don't want to talk anymore. But ultimately, if you love your spouse, you're going to have that communication. And we have to do this constantly. I shouldn't have to think about, well, when do I need to talk to my wife? When's it important to talk to my wife? When, because of that relationship, I should want to have that constant line of communication. I should want to share, share my joys with her and my sorrows with her, my struggles and my victories. And the same with God. We have to have that same mentality because you want to share those things with the ones you love. When something good happens in your life, you usually go to the people you love. When you're struggling, you usually go to the people you love. When you need counsel, you usually go to the people you love. And see, it's no different with God. We have to be able to do that. So James begins this and he says, the first instance that he directs us to pray is when we're suffering. I think that one's probably pretty easy for us to understand because a lot of times when we're suffering, man, that's when we're really starting to open those channels. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking to God all the time. Now, the context behind the book of James, if you remember, is the people were being persecuted. And maybe because of the pressure they were facing, sometimes they turned on each other. And they would kind of bite and devour one another. James talks about that earlier in the book. But James is trying to teach his readers and to teach us how to react to the changing circumstances and the difficulties that we face. The word suffering from verse 13 is used in conjunction with troubles and calamities of the Old Testament, the ones that the prophets faced at the hands of others. It includes ill treatment, oppression, loss of property. The word explicitly means oppression at the hand of other people. So when you're being oppressed by, at the hands of others, what do we do? See, James's readers, were, they, knew how, they, knew, they knew all about this. It was happening to them each, pretty much each and every day. So when others are oppressing you, when you're suffering, there are many ways that we can react. How do you react? Anger? Oh, we won't talk about that one. Spite? Wait a minute, we won't talk about that either. Dang it, those get close to home. Vengeance? I mean, how do you react? 
I know my initial reaction is a lot of times to get angry and maybe to look for ways to get back at them for causing me to suffer. When I used to work at Squirty, my friends and I used to say, we don't get, you know, a lot of times we don't say we don't get mad, we get even. We said, we don't get mad, we get ahead. In other words, we go that extra mile to make sure that you got paid back for the egregious sin you committed against us. And that's really not the proper way to react. Sometimes people will want to make God the scapegoat of their problems and their issues and their suffering. Well, this is God's fault. And I find it interesting when you're dealing with the prophets and you're dealing with, you know, in the New Testament with Paul and such, they're not ever shaking fists at God for the most part over their, calam- over their situation. But James says, when you are suffering, the way you deal with it is you communicate with God. You talk to God. God wants to have a conversation with you when you're being oppressed. God wants you to take that to him. And think about this. Who is better to go to than God? Because God can do something about it. God can, can be there for you. He can help you get through it. When we are faced with these, these, these issues, what stops us from going to God? When I'm suffering at the hands of another, why don't I just go to God immediately? Could it be an issue of trust? Could it be that... I think that I'm suffering so much that I have to take care of this and take matters into my own hands? Or do I trust that God will do what needs to be done? Do we, maybe we don't trust that God will take care of it in our time frame. You know, maybe, maybe he's going to wait till we're gone from this earth to take care of it. Well, I don't want that. Do you want your enemies to oppress you, to suffer after you're gone? No, you want to see it. It's like, I want to see this. But that's not the way to go with it. See, a lot of times we want it when we want it, how we want it. And we think that, well, if God steps in, that's not going to happen. Jonah, good example of this. God says, hey, Jonah, got a great ministry opportunity for you. You're going to go into an area that's really needing the message, and people are going to listen, and you're going to win this whole area. For, bring them to, you're going to bring them to me. You're going to change them. Jonah's like, no, I'm not. That's not happening. I hate these people. They're, 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 they're worthless. They don't deserve your mercy. And Jonah's like, if, if I go, I know what's going to happen. You're going to forgive them. I don't want that because these people are horrible. They deserve whatever calamity is going to hit them. I don't care. I don't care what happens to them. And Jonah, Jonah didn't want to do it because he knew that God would take care of it, but not the way he wanted so I think sometimes we're a little bit reticent to go to God because we know God will deal with it, but not the way I want. I want them to suffer. They're making me suffer. Isn't that fair? The, 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 let's, let's proof texting. Doesn't the Bible say an eye for an eye? Well, I just want to be the one to poke the eye out. But that's not the way to respond. The psalmist appeals to God to take care of the enemies throughout the book of Psalms. Psalm 41, I'll just pull one, 41.6. God is our strong refuge he truly, he, he is truly our helper in times of trouble. And throughout the Psalms, the psalmists are always appealing, God, man, I'm suffering. Take care of this. Real world stuff. I'm being oppressed. You know, David, we've talked about him being oppressed by Saul. David had a chance to take it matters into his own hands. He wouldn't do it. And boy, I tell you what, I admire David's restraint because I'm telling you, if I was in his position, I would justify that in a second. Yeah, God brought him into here. God's got him relieved. God's got him defenseless. Boys, go cut him up, man. We're done with this. But David didn't do that because he was in communication with God. 
He knew God well enough to know that, yeah, Saul's a problem, but God will deal with it. David was not meant to do that. Um, prayer is an outpouring of the righteous heart to the Father whom we trust. Instead of being looking for vengeance, instead of hoping bad things happen to, him, to people who oppress us, we're going to take it to God because we trust him. And who knows, maybe that person oppressing us may lead to their salvation. That's ultimately, now at the time we're not thinking that and not wanting that necessarily, but you don't know. This is why we have to go to God and let God deal with it. James shifts the mood to another time when we're called to communicate with God. He tells us we're to communicate with God when we're in good spirits. He says, pray when you're in trouble, sing when you're happy. In other words, offer praises to him. Singing is a form of communication. You know, we always see the scenes in the movies where the guy's trying to win the girl and he throws rocks at her window and sometimes in the comedy he breaks the window and then he's out there singing to her. He's communicating with us. I love you, baby, you know. Now, singing is not one of my modes of communication, but I love a good song. But when we're happy, go to God. And more importantly, sing his praises because he is the reason that you have joy. He is the reason that you can have that happiness. Because many times we want, not us necessarily, but at times we want to blame God for the bad stuff. We better be praising him for the good. And when things are going well, man, you, you got to sing your praises to him and thank him. Um, there's a natural, these are, and really when you're, when you're going through good times, the natural inclination is to be joyful. When you're going through bad, the natural inclination is to be angry. But the real inclination should be to pray and to sing praises to God. They're logical responses to changing moods in life. But God doesn't always call us to be logical in the world's eyes. He calls us to be faithful and to trust him. And so if I'm, gonna, if I'm going through good times, I need, to, I need to acknowledge that. I need to acknowledge where it comes from. Every enjoy the good times, offer a prayer of faith in the bad times. We are to sing praises to God. What kind of relationship would we have with God if we just called out in our time of trouble? That the only time we called him is in trouble. I've talked to some parents before, and they, they, sometimes they don't have great relationships with their kids, and the only time they hear from the kids is when they want something. How does that make you feel? Some of you, under, some of you know this. Thankfully, I've not been down that path. But that'd be horrible. That, that's not love. That's not knowing that, hey, you know what? This person loves me. James says, don't just call out to God when, you're going, when it's going bad. Sing praises to him when it's going good. James also encourages us to pray when we are sick. The third, uh, the, the, uh, the third one he gives us. I'm going to handle this part of the verse when it talks about what it talks about. We're going to take it from the standpoint of, spirit, of excuse me, a physical healing. I believe that's what the context is teaching. But we are, we're told that when we're sick, we're to call the elders of the church. Now, this applies as spiritual sickness applications also, but I think the direct context is physical illness because the word sick denotes somebody who's bedfast, who has no strength, and they're incapacitated because of the sickness. The, the, the term's used several times in the Scripture, and almost all the time it speaks of physical. But the point that we have to grasp here, too, on the side is it says, hey, when you're sick, call the elders. The implication is the elders aren't looking around looking for you to be sick. If you need them to come pray over you, you need to contact them. And if you're sick and you don't contact them, you say, well, those elders, they don't care. That's not their job at that point. It's your job to get communication to them. Say, hey, man, I need you to come pray over me. I need you to anoint me with oil. And we'll talk about that a little bit 
But the, but the point is the elders aren't just looking for people to be sick. The elders are to pray over and to anoint the sick person with oil. In this time period, that anointing with oil was commonly olive oil, and it was used for a variety of medical purposes. It was also used to keep the skin hydrated because much like our climate, Israel's a very dry climate. But James says, hey, when you're sick, you need to call the elders, and you guys need to pray for physical healing. James also tells us that we're to pray when we need spiritual restoration. In verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the word save here can deal with physical or spiritual, uh, spir- uh, excuse me, physical healing or spiritual salvation or salvation issues. When we see who is healed, excuse me, <laughs> we see that one, the one who is healed or saved is done through the prayer of faith. In other words, it says that prayer will help save them. If this was only dealing with physical healing, we would have a problem because we'd go through all this process for healing, and that would be it. But there's also a restoration issue, because then he says, oh, by the way, if this person's committing sins, they can be restored. When you're spiritually sick, you can have restoration, because God will forgive the one who's repentant of their sins. So, and it's, the implication isn't here that all sickness, physical sickness is from spiritual issues. Some of them are. But he's saying, go to God when you're physically sick, go to God when you're spiritually sick, and lift up prayer, and have the elders pray with you, and you pray. But we're talking about that. The word six translated, I think, 18 times in the New Testament, and 14 times it denotes, uh, it, it denotes uh, emotional and spiritual weakness when it's talking about the sick in verse 15. But it usually, it refers to physical illness in this epistle. Struggles with sin often cause us to feel defeat. And the way to fix that is through repentance and confession. Many times, a visit from the elders of the church can be an encouragement. It's an opportunity to have your leaders, your God, these godly men, to come around you and to encourage you. Our next thought of restoration, excuse me, the thought of restoration leads us to our next thought in verse 16. It says this. So confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great of a righteous person has great effectiveness. So the next observation is the issue of the heart of prayer, the heart of effective prayer. It's one thing to communicate with God, which we're supposed to do. But there's something that can keep us from doing that. I've talked before about the issue of repentance. Why in the middle of all this stuff that James is teaching? Does he start it? And when he starts talking about prayer, would all of a sudden he'd say, oh, confess your sins to one another. Why does he bring that into the fold in the midst of talking about prayer? Well, once again, he's bringing in this issue of repentance. James turns turns to the church as a whole and he says, if you have issues with one another, you need to confess those to one another because what'll happen is if I got an issue with my brother or sister and I won't confess it, it's going to hinder my relationship with God. It's going to hinder me going to him. The word healed here, when you go back into, uh, into verse 15, that person will be healed. It, it doesn't deal, it, it, here, it, excuse me. It doesn't deal with physical healing only. It deals with also symbolically with the, with the spiritual. Um, it represents God's forgiveness. And he says, God will forgive that person when they confess their sins. The thought here is reminiscent to what Jesus said when when presenting your offering to God. 
in Matthew chapter 5. He says, So then bring your gift to the altar, and, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your gift. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, when you're going to come to the altar and you're going to offer a sacrifice, and you know your brother has an issue with you, leave that gift and go take care of it. In other words, make sure that a change of heart repentance, forgiveness happens. In Proverbs 28, 13, we find a very similar vein of thought. It says, the one who covers his transgressions will not prosper, but the one who confesses them and forsakes them will find mercy. When we have unconfessed sin, or we have issues with our brothers and sisters in Christ, those issues can, af- can have a, a, an impact on the effectiveness of our prayer life. Imagine being in a relationship with someone and you're sinning against them. Imagine you, you know, if you're, you're married and you're cheating on your spouse. Are you, are you going to have a good relationship with your spouse? Are you going to feel comfortable? Are you going to be open and loving? No, because you've got something that's in the middle of your relationship that's blocking the relationship. See, that relationship wouldn't be healthy. When you hold on to unconfessed sin, it weighs you down. It brings guilt into your life. It's hard to open up to God when your heart is not open to him. When there's things that you're trying to hold back from God by the way that he knows anyway, and you're not willing to take him to God, you're going to have a hard time being open and and confessing to God and asking God things because you're thinking, I don't want him to talk to me about this this sin that I'm holding on to. It makes a big difference in our life. If we doubt that God can heal us, if we doubt that God can forgive us, we won't go to him. We'll just keep that sin buried and we'll keep committing that sin and we'll keep living in that sin because we don't think there's any help at all. James in, cha- in James chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8, he says this. He says, speaking of prayer, but he must ask in faith without doubting. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not, must, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord since he is double-minded, since he's a double-minded individual, unstable in his ways. And so we have to have that confidence in God because if we don't, we won't, we won't, we just won't. And I think many times in my life when I've been hesitant to pray, I think this situation is so bad or so difficult, why am I going to waste God's time? He's not going to do anything about it. But so you've got to have that faith knowing that God can answer your prayer. But you also have to have enough confidence in God to know he might not answer the way you want it to, when you want it, how you want it. But God will help you. He'll work you through it. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. It says this. We'll repeat verse 16 because we're going to focus on the last part. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. Here's where we want to pick it up. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. Elijah was a human being like us. He prayed earnestly so it wouldn't rain and there would be no rain in the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land sprouted with a harvest. So James is talking to us about, hey, you need to go to God when all these things are happening in your life. He, earlier, he talks about how you can't doubt God. You've got to trust him. You've got to know he's there for you. And so James says, I'm going to follow it up with something for you here. Prayer in action. James offers us a glimpse of prayer in action, what prayer can do. And James goes to the prophet Elijah, 
I love Elijah, man. Because Elijah is so, he's so like us. A lot of times when we look at the prophets of the Old Testament and the saints of the Old, you know, the great ones of the Old Testament, I think sometimes we have this tendency to think that they're a little bit higher form of being than we are. That they're like a cut above, that they were created a little bit differently. That we aren't them, they aren't us. But James, I find it interesting. Why do you think in the very first part of that passage talking about Elijah, he says, oh, hey, Elijah was a human just like the rest of us. James, he says, Elijah was an ordinary person, basically, if you want to translate it that way. Elijah was a man with the same flaws the rest of us have, the same doubts, the same fears, the, the same fearing for his life. Elijah is no different than us. Elijah could be sitting here with us today, and unless he has that cool robe he used to wear and stuff, uh, we wouldn't, he, would look, he would blend in right with us. King Ahab of Israel, at the time of Elijah, led the nation into Baal worship. It was, a, it was an abomination. And so God had enough of it, and so he sent Elijah to warn the king to change. And of course, the king, he's not going to change. So Elijah said, okay, I'm going to pray that it doesn't rain on this land. And it stopped. God took Elijah kind of out to the brook, a little bit out of the jurisdiction of Ahab, took care of him for three and a half years. That area saw no rain. It didn't rain. And then after three and a half years, God said, hey, you need to go back to uh, Ahab. And so he goes back to Ahab. And he's like, get all the prophets together. We're going to have a showdown. It's like, you know, tombstone at the, at the OK Corral, only with like 450 prophets of Baal. And here's Elijah. And the scene is one of the funniest in Scripture, in my opinion. I just, I, I just picture this in my head. What he said is, we're going to build altars. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. You guys are going to call out to your God for rain. And then when you're done, and the implication is when it doesn't happen, I'm going to pray to God and we're going to see what happens. So they, build the, they get this altar, and, and, and the prophets of Baal, when you read it, it's hilarious. They're dancing. They're cutting themselves. They're, they're praying out loud. They're saying a bunch of words, and, and Elijah's over there just kind of smarting, smarting off to him. Hey, is your God in the bathroom? What, is he not hearing you? Nothing. And, the, and as he's doing it, man, as he's getting these digs in, they're just jumping up and down. It's, just, it's a crazy show. And after a while, when they're finally all tired, Elijah's like, okay, it's my turn. He builds an altar. He says, get all the water you can. You build a moat around it. And of course, three and a half years with no rain, he calls for this water and he fills it. He calls down God and God throws down fire, licks up all the water, and, and, and it rains. <laughs> and then Elijah says, get those prophets. We're, we're, we're white. We're whacking them all. So eventually they were all dead. But what's interesting is, James says it's prayer that caused this. Now, going back to Elijah as a side note, after all of this, do you think Elijah would think nothing can defeat me? Nothing can defeat me. I am impervious. God is with me. Look what we just did. <laughs> nope. It just took one queen, Jezebel, to make Elijah say, I want to die. <clears throat> he ran and hid. He was afraid. He ran away. He felt sorry for himself. And that is just so human. You know, and this is what I love about Elijah. But James says, look at what his prayer did. And so when we go to God, we have to go to him knowing that prayer can change things. It can cause God's providence to be exercised in a special way. 
Jesus kind of alludes to this in, J- in Matthew 17, 20. He says, Jesus told them it was because of your little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, Jesus says you got power through prayer because you're calling on the creator of heaven and earth. And what is impossible for him? Ultimately, prayer springs forth from our trust and our faith in God. Have you ever pondered what Jesus was saying in that Matthew passage? Have you ever read that and just sat back and think, what are the implications of that? See, we face a variety of things in life. Let us discipline ourselves to first turn to God in conversation and prayer. And we'll be blessed in a mighty way through him. As we close our series, I want to close with this thought. Our message, the, the message, the, uh, the big idea for the message today, the, the thing that we can take home. It says, we learn to trust God by praying. We learn to pray by praying. So therefore pray, if that's not confusing enough. So the bottom line is pray. Constantly talk to the Lord. God loves you, and he wants to have that conversation with you. This morning, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to do so this morning. God didn't just send his son to die on the cross and then leave us alone or say, yeah, yeah, I'll see you when you get to heaven. You know, when you've had a loved one who's left home, you don't say, well, you know what, I'll talk to you when you eventually come back. Or those of you who've had sons and daughters go in the military... You don't say, well, when you're done with your enlistment, whether it's a year, two years, or 20, we'll talk again. No, you want, you want to be with them. You want to be talking with them. God didn't just bring, send Jesus to save you and say, I'll see you when you get to heaven. He wants to have a relationship with you now because he loves you. So if you need that relationship with Jesus, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're not immersed into Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning and put your faith in him, to confess him as your Lord, to repent to him of your, for, of your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters. You're going to be washed anew. You're going to be a new creation in him, and you're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. I see so many people who are burdened by their sin, by guilt. You leave it in the water, and you come out a new creation. If that's what you need, we offer you that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you need prayer, if you want to come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you, one of our elders, Roger Wood. But at this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision, Spirit of the Living God.
At the close of the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, we find Jesus speaking to the disciples and to us today. He concludes what he's been teaching them with these words, and lo, I am with you always to the very
It's a pretty song. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. Uh, Jerry has all of his groups going this evening, Roger's groups meeting. Uh, the LOL group meets this week. We also have prime time at the Bright Spot at 6.15 p.m. on Friday, so make sure that you let us know by Tuesday evening so that we can confirm that with them on Wednesday. Um, we also have Operation Christmas Childs taking donations, so we ask that you take note of that. Uh, we're taking uh, food uh, donations for Peach's Pantry. Stitches of Love is still looking for some participants, and we still need uh, empty rectangular Kleenex boxes for Jan and what she's doing in Kids Way. And Lori's uh, life group is going to begin on September 6th. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and so you can contact Lori if you have more um, any questions about that. So I believe that's all the announcements we have for this week. In the on the back of your bulletin, we have our prayer concerns, and uh, Trudy Munn wanted me to let everybody know that she misses them. And uh, the same is true with Ruth Levette, and they're both doing fairly well, and hopefully Ruth uh, will get out of there sometime soon. It's been a long haul for her. The men's pancake breakfast had a wonderful uh, pancake breakfast uh, on s this last Saturday. Was it this Saturday or the last Saturday? I get my weeks mixed up. It was the last Saturday, two, two weeks ago. Uh, anyway, we're thankful for that and everybody who participated with that. We have special concerns of things going around in the country. We have a lot of people that we're praying for with health issues, so keep them in your prayers. We have troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins. We're praying for Peach's Pantry this, this month along with Southern Mexico Mission. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll give you a moment to lift your uh, hearts to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll close us with a prayer as our praise team leads us out today. Father, for each situation, each person that we've put in our bulletin, Lord, we pray that you bring a special blessing to them, bring healing where it's needed, physical healing, spiritual healing, restoration, and Lord, just encouragement. Father, I pray that through the week we are keeping uh, these people in our thoughts and our prayers with you. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, we leave with a heart of joy, ready to serve you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.